0: Welcome to the Living Faith Fellowship Conference podcast. The Living Faith Fellowship is a peer network of like-minded churches united under a single biblical authority and one common mission. You're about to hear a message from one of the many conferences hosted by the Living Faith Fellowship every year. We pray it's a blessing. Good morning. It is so good to be with you again this morning and I just want to say praise the Lord for what we just sat through with Brandon. That was outstanding. Uh, I think many of us are familiar with the phrase, a tough act to follow. (laughs) I was like, why did Brandon go first again? It's like, if if we do this again, I'm not, I'm going first. (laughs) So it put the pressure on him. Uh, But he did an outstanding job. And so I just want to uh, continue in terms of our focus today and identifying leaders and and trusting the Lord to speak to all of us and see what he would say to us. But one of the biggest decisions in the life of a church is identifying its pastor, right? The, the shepherd, the man who's going to steer and, and lead this church. And, and then from there, one of the biggest decisions that a pastor is going to make is identifying the men who are going to lead that church with him. Right, because those decisions, who the pastor is going to be and who's going to lead with him, determines whether or not if a church moves forward, you know, for decades or it goes backward for decades. Right, because the men who lead the church with that pastor are going to have a big say in that. They really are. And so what we're looking at this morning is very important to the life and health of of any local church. Who's, who's the pastor and who are those who are leading with him? This is very, very important. So just as Brandon did, uh, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to uh, hopefully give us a contrast between two leaders. And what you're going to see between these two leaders, you're going to see very clearly one who was unfaithful and and one who was faithful. We can learn from both. We need to learn from both. We must learn from both. And this brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 15 this morning is where uh, we're going to be. We're we'll bouncing around some, but, but this will be our base of operation here in 2 Samuel 15. And, and what you're going to see is you're going to see two men who are mentioned for the first time. Uh, one name, Ahithophel and the other Ittai. So we meet these men for the first time here. By the time we get to 2 Samuel 15, David's reaping from what he sowed with Bathsheba earlier in 2 Samuel is in full swing. It is going down. We're talking about incest, rape, murder have all reared their ugly head in David's family. He's lost the heart of his son, Absalom, who is about to deliver a gut punch to his father, David. That gut punch being an orchestrated rebellion against his father. So this was a very critical moment for David. It was a critical moment for the kingdom. And as senior pastors in the room can attest, critical moments in ministry are when the leaders who surround them matter the most. A senior pastor understands that greatly. And when you're you're leading, you're overseeing a church, you're shepherding a flock, there are going to be a number of critical moments, a number of them. And when you look to your left, you look to your right, and who's ever standing there, it matters. They matter. It really does. This was that moment for David and the reality about critical moments. Critical moments do a number of things. They reveal a number of things. But for the sake of this conversation, one of the things that critical moments always do is they always reveal who's faithful and who's unfaithful. Critical moments never lie. They only tell the truth every single time. So at the start of Absalom's rebellion, one of the first things that he did was send for David's counselor, Ahithophel. And this is very, very telling. And this brings us to 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 11. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. So right at the gate, we see a contrast between the 200 men who joined Absalom and Ahithophel, and Ahithophel. So we see a contrast between those men and Ahithophel. The 200 men who went with Absalom did not know what they were signing up for. They didn't know anything. Which in ministry, Brandon touched on this. But in ministry, we unfortunately we see this movie from time to time, don't we? We see this movie. It's a very unpleasant film. Some well-meaning believer gets befriended by someone who appears to be a highly regarded, well-respected leader in the church. And this well-meaning believer is just grateful to just have been acknowledged by this leader who seems to be so highly regarded and so well-respected. They're just grateful to be in their company. Little do they know that they're just simply a pawn on the chessboard In the scheme of this leader to not only sow discord in the church, but potentially split it. Right? Have we not seen this movie? Brandon just talked about it. But in this first mention of Ahithophel, we're told that he was David's counselor. The Bible tells us that there is safety in the multitude of counselors, and so. David would have had more than one counselor. An example would be Nathan the prophet. We see him emerge earlier in 2 Samuel. But based on how Ahithophel is presented here in 2 Samuel 15, it seems that not only was he David's counselor, but he was David's chief counselor, his chief advisor. I mean, this was a guy who you had David and Ahithophel was here. He had David's ear, if you would, unlike anyone else. Now, I say that to establish this, to establish how unlikely it would have been for Ahithophel to not know why he was being sent for. He would have known. I mean, it's kind of like being in the mafia, which I don't recommend. Just, Just so we're clear. I don't recommend that at all. That's not, if, if you come to this conference and your takeaway is, Kenny said that we should be in the mafia. <laughs> Check your hearing, <laughs> okay? But let's just, for the sake of illustration, um, you know, if you're in the mafia and you get sent for, there's nothing ambiguous about that, is it? And you kiss your family goodbye, <laughs> nice knowing you all. I'm done, okay? Listen, you don't ascend to the level of leadership that Ahithophel found himself without knowing the state of things between the king and his son. You you, you don't get to that level of leadership and be in the dark about that, nor would you have been in the dark about Absalom intercepting people at the gate telling them what he would do if he was in charge. You think Ahithophel didn't know that? Of course he knew that. But notice verse 11 tells us that the 200 men knew not anything. But verse 12 doesn't say that about Ahithophel. Not at all. He knew. If Ahithophel was serving as David's chief advisor, and he was in the dark about this rebellion that was brewing, then he had no business serving in that capacity. Not at all. For someone in that role, it's their job to know. You're the king's chief advisor. You have to know the temperature of what's happening in the kingdom. But also notice that the word of God does not express that Ahithophel inquired about why he was being sent for. I mean, after all, it wasn't like he was being summoned by the king. Absalom is sending for him. I would imagine that someone in his role would think, you know, why is Absalom sending for me and not the king? I mean, none of that is, is stated at all. But from Absalom's perspective, if he was looking to bring legitimacy to his rebellion, then there was no better guy to have in the fold than David's chief counselor, Ahithophel. And not for nothing, if you really want to stick it to your father and drive the sword deeper into his heart, one way to do that would be to say, guess what? I got your man with me, Ahithophel. And I believe it was Ahithophel that David had in view in Psalm 55 beginning in verse 12, where he wrote, For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was was it he that hated me, that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. So David, at this point, he's getting it on both sides, both barrels. I mean, he's getting it from Absalom and now Ahithophel. I mean, this is a gut punch, man. This is, I mean, he, this, he would have been gasping emotionally. Okay, so what does this snapshot of Ahithophel reveal to us about identifying faithful leaders? Now, the meaning of his name will validate the snapshot, and it tells us something very critical. This might seem trivial. It might seem insignificant, but this is something that is very critical to, take, to pay attention to, to look for when you're, when you're looking to identify faithful leaders. His name means brother of foolishness, ruin, or impiety. So the term brother is a relational term. So this reveals something to us about Ahithophel's relationships. Notice, he is in league with Absalom, a man of foolishness, a man of ruin, a man of impiety. So here's the key point. A critical indicator of someone's leadership, potential, and projection is found in the company they keep. Pay attention to that. That is not trivial. Pay attention. Just looking at someone's giftedness, their zeal, their availability, their willingness... That will tell you a lot, but it won't tell you everything. It doesn't. Ahithophil was a gifted counselor. Consider 2 Samuel 16 and verse 23. And the counsel of Ahithophil, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophil, both with David and with Absalom. I can only imagine some of the conversations that took place between David and Ahithophel when they were together. He said they took sweet counsel together. So I would imagine that a lot of those conversations were, they were sweet. Where where David was comforted by Ahithophel's counsel and his wisdom and his knowledge and his, his, his prudency and all of that, where he would have at times just been immensely grateful to say, Thank you, Father, for putting this man in my life. I, I'm grateful for what he brings to my life. Again, David viewed him as an equal, a guide, and an acquaintance. They took, they, I mean, they walked together. I mean, this wasn't just a counselor. This was a friend, a confidant. You know, one of the things that is—I don't care who you are—I mean, I would say that the most delicate thing about all of us is what is this right here, isn't it? It's this right here. I'll never forget one of the verses that um, I was—I was—I was single, and I met with Alan Shelby. Uh, to talk about singleness and trusting God for uh, a wife. And and the verse that he gave me was from Proverbs 31, verse 11, that talks about the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her. And let me tell you, Lori Morgan is that woman. My heart is safe with her. My heart is safe, right? But you know in ministry... And, and, and definitely, and listen, let me just, if I can talk to those of us who are under the leadership of a senior or lead pastor, let me just tell you something, that they do desire something that they look for, something that they really need. You know what that is? Is, is they, they, they want to know that their heart is safe with you. That their heart is safe. I mean, their heart is delicate, Right? Like you, you don't play with a you don't play with a heart, do you? You got to be careful, right? They they want to know that man, my heart is safe with you. I mean that's my heart under my pastor. I I I hope he can sleep at night. I I want him to know that that his heart is safe with me, right? That I'm not going to take his heart and just play with it, right? Like I'm juggling something. I want him to know that his heart is safe with me. But I do wonder, had David just taken a step back and just observed the relationships in Ahithophel's life, if that would have told him something, if that would have been a red flag. At times in ministry, it is so easy to become enamored with people there's a lot to like, there's a lot to admire about people who are just, they're gifted, they're excited, they're ready to go. Brandon talked about, man, they're, they're ready to take that hill, all that. But when we allow those things to impress us, here's what can happen. And, and listen, I'm, I'm exhibit A, I, I've been here, but, but here's what can happen. We can choose now to become blind to or dismissive of blatant character blemishes. Where like the Lord will show you moments where he says, did you see that? I know you saw that. Don't ignore that. Did you see that hard attitude? Did you see how they responded? Did you see how they handled that? I did, but but I also see over here, man. This guy can get it done. <laughs> he'll 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 get over that. He'll he'll grow through it. Mm. Looking forward in the days after the church has been raptured, the world will be desperately seeking counsel, won't it? And the counsel from the antichrist in those days will sound like the counsel of God, won't it? And the world will be impressed with his counsel while being ignorant of his character. This is why someone's knowledge of Scripture and their ability to communicate it very well is not the end all in identifying a faithful leader. Again, that will tell you some things, but it won't tell you everything. The company that they keep will tell you as much as the Bible that they know. So look at that. Uh, My dearest brother and friend in the world, Troy, says something years ago that I have quoted so much that I feel like I said it, but I'm only giving him credit because he's here. If he wasn't here, I would just roll it off as if I said it. But he said, wherever your friends are going, they're taking you with them. Man, that's, a, that's solid. This is one of the reasons I've instructed my son to make sure he checks out the destination before he hops on the train with some people. You might want to know where that train's going, because wherever that train's going is where you're going to end up. So make sure you check the destination. Proverbs thirteen twenty: He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools—not might be, could be, no—shall be destroyed. A companion of fools is a brother of foolishness. It's who they are, and the way that Proverbs thirteen twenty is presented, we can't walk with both. Wise men don't walk with foolish men, and foolish men don't walk with wise men. It's going to be one, eventually it's going to come down to you're going to have to choose. Am I walking with him, or am I walking with him? Am I walking with a man who is wise, or am I walking with a man who's a fool? Can two walk together except they be agreed, the rhetorical question? And the obvious answer is no. No. Now, men like Ahithophel are Judas Iscariot-like, where they play the part very well. Like, isn't it amazing when when Jesus makes it clear that that one of you are going to betray me, and they start looking around asking, well, is, is it me? Like, it wasn't obvious to them that it was Judas Iscariot. He played the role wonderfully. And men like that, they are good. And we're going to see a clear connection between Ahithophel and Judas Iscariot. But every tree eventually shows its true colors, right? Always does. And that's exactly what men like Ahithophel and Judas Iscariot do. Eventually, the foolish company in their life is going to show up in your ministry. Eventually, it's going to show up. Proverbs 22, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. Have you ever found it interesting? At least I have. This has happened to me. Where you can find yourself mad and angry about something, that you didn't realize that you needed to be mad and angry about until you were with someone who was mad and angry about it. You ever been there? That's something, isn't it? Like, I, I, I can be trading um, text messages with Troy over a Chiefs game, right? We're, and we're going back, I mean, you see that play, you see that catch, whatever, right? And then he'll point out, like, man, this running back, this guy is as blind as a bat. Man, he couldn't see a hole the size of an elephant. I mean, up to that point, I might have thought, well, I thought he was a pretty good player. (laughs) I actually have his jersey. (laughs) (laughs) But after this conversation now, going back and forth, you know what? That guy couldn't see an elephant if it was sitting right in front of him. (laughs) Man, give me that jersey. Take it to the thrift store and sell it. (laughs) I'm not wearing it, you know? Isn't that something? guy's my favorite player. Now he's trash. (laughs) And if I'm being honest, I think I was the one who mentioned this guy first. (laughs) That's why he's laughing. Listen, whatever the angry and furious man is angry and furious about, if you're walking with him, you're going to be angry and furious about it because two cannot walk together except they be agreed it's interesting absalom reaches out for ahithophel he did it quickly he did it assertively and he did it confidently like he knew he had ahithophel in his back pocket he knew he knew that there was i mean there was already an agreement between these two men And Ahithophel was just waiting for the signal to come and join this coup d'etat. A wise pastor once said that what determines whether or not he reads a book is who endorses it. He goes, I just check out the endorsements first. Because whoever endorses this book will tell me if the book is sound or or unsound. So as we're looking to identify leaders, one of the things that we want to check for is who's endorsing their life. Who is endorsing their life? That's going to tell you a lot. The question that naturally surfaces, though, is what was the impetus? that led Ahithophel to betray David and join Absalom. What was that? The short answer is his character, ultimately. This is the short answer that led him to do this. But a clue emerges by comparing Scripture with, with Scripture from 2 Samuel eleven three and then 2 Samuel twenty three thirty four. And David sent and inquired, after the woman. This is a very interesting word in 2 Samuel inquired because David did some other inquiring earlier in the book that was to the glory of God. This one was not. This is interesting. A different conversation, though. And one said, Is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Okay, and then we look in 2 Samuel 23 34, the son of Ahazbai the son of the Mahakathite, and Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilonite. So Bathsheba was Ahithophel's granddaughter. Now, some question in terms of is, is that very definitive, but here's what strengthens it for me. A few things. Number one, Eliam and Uriah the Hittite were presented to David as if he knew them. I mean, he's the king. I mean, how many people are in the kingdom? I mean, it's not like he needed to be introduced or reminded about who these two men were in this list and why would David have known these men because they were two of his mighty men. Given that a lion was Ahithophel's son, And one of David's mighty men supports why Bathsheba's home would have been in such close proximity to David's palace. I mean, she's Ahithophel's granddaughter. Now, I am not a grandfather yet, and the only hope I ever have of being a grandfather will be through my son, who, Lord willing, will marry a godly woman, and they'll produce great-grandchildren. But my precious baby girl is never getting married, so I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) So we don't have to deal with that. But I can only imagine the hurt and the betrayal that Ahithophil felt. I can only imagine. He's lost a grandchild and a great grandchild because of David. That hurt. That's a pretty good motive to join Absalom, a man who had proven that he had no problem taking the position that says, vengeance is mine, saith Absalom. So what David did was selfish and wicked. But what King Saul did to David, was that not also selfish and wicked? But what are we, but what are we told about how David dealt with that? As it related to Saul, it says that he behaved himself how? Wisely. Even though Saul was completely out of bounds, David behaved himself wisely. Ahithophel was not behaving himself wisely here at all. But this sheds light on another very critical point in identifying leaders. And and I tell you, this one is, I mean, these are all, like, they all matter. I mean, they all matter. I mean, these are critical principles, and there are many more. But an unfaithful person will not manage disappointments and disagreements well as a leader in ministry. That's big. Brandon mentioned it toward the end of, of his message. Pastors and leaders are never going to bat a thousand. They're not. Pastors and leaders are flesh. One of the best things I was told years ago was respect godly men, but reverence God. So yeah, I mean, we reverence God, and we and we listen. We are grateful. For those who are over us in the Lord, aren't we? We should be. The Bible tells us to know them who are over you in the Lord, and you are to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Man, that's praise the Lord! But just know that that, but they're still just flesh, and because they are just people, being under them means that it is inevitable. It's not if, it's when. You're going to have to manage your disappointments and your disagreements well. They're going to happen. You're not going to appreciate every decision your pastor makes. You're not going to like it. He's going to say something, do something that you're just going to say, I just, come on, really? In your flesh? You've got to manage that, and you've got to manage it well. Listen, if there are no disagreements, if there are no disappointments, then guess what that means? We're in a cult. We're in a cult. We just are. I do. I, I find it. Uh, th- this is one of, the, one of the great comedy acts in the church, right, is when people either leave or threaten to leave, because they're disappointed or there's been a disagreement. It really gets comical after a while. Here's why. Look at some of these verses here in 2 Samuel chapter 17. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. Verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said... The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord hath appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Verse 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulchre of his father. Of course, Hushai was acting on David's behalf to frustrate the agenda of Absalom and Ahithophil, but Ahithophel defected from David. Why? <laughs> because he was disappointed and there's been a disagreement. And where did he find himself eventually? This is why it's a comedy act. Disappointed And there is a disagreement. Right? The the notion that I'm going to go from this church where I'm disgruntled and I'm frustrated and I don't like how this went down, and I'm going to go over here because, man, this is the greenest pasture in ministry. There will be no problems over here, no disappointments over here, no disagreements over here. To hear that his counsel was not good. And that Hushai's counsel was better. It crushed him. It crushed him. And how did he manage that disappointment and disagreement? He saw the writing on the wall. Absalom's rebellion was on borrowed time. And just like Judas Iscariot, he hung himself. Let me just once again, let me just target those starting with me. Those of us who are under the leadership of a lead or senior pastor. You must understand that there is no ministry promised land that excludes disappointments and disagreements, it doesn't exist. So, what you have to learn, you have to learn how to manage your disappointments and your disagreements where you are, and you have to learn how to manage those things well. You do. At MBT, and I think I, I think we I, I think I speak for every church, but but at, but at MBT we 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 love to see people. Uh, get saved through our ministry, come to MBT, get discipled and and see them established in ministry in terms of making disciples indeed with us to get trained that's the biblical ideal, okay but God does lead people to MBT who are already saved from other churches and And we praise God for that, too, although it's not what we look for or what we're trusting God for in terms of growth. But we do recognize that God very well could be leading someone to join us. And and if that's the case, we want to trust God to see them fitly join with us in ministry, making disciples. So praise the Lord for that. But here's something that we look for in that scenario. Here's something that we wait and watch for because it's always coming. It's the day that they realize that MBT is imperfect. It's the moment when the honeymoon dies. It's the moment where this isn't the greatest church in the world after all. And in that moment, and the ones to follow, because there there will be more, right? Right? Here's what we get. We get either a green light or we get a red light. We're good to keep going, to keep moving forward, to see them fitly join and see them plugged in and all of that. Or pump the brakes. Because, listen, however they handled disappointments and disagreements where they were, is how they're going to manage them where they are. Can I just tell you, I mean, listen, I, I, I by the grace of God, I, I really do have to be careful to make sure, hey, charity believes all things, and yes, Lord. But I got to tell you, I, I do have to overcome a little bit of trepidation when somebody new comes to MBT from another church, it's like, Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This principle is deepened from a discipleship perspective for me because I can't think of a more ideal discipleship situation than following God in the flesh at the first coming of Christ. But John 6, verse 60, tells us many... Not a couple, many. Therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus said some things that these so-called disciples, you ready? Were disappointed with and disagreed with. And how did they manage that? They murmured and they quit. Here we go. I'm going to give you a critical takeaway. One of the takeaways here is that, listen, spiritual maturity is a prerequisite for ministry leadership. You have to be spiritually mature. You have to be. To serve in ministry leadership, it's not for spiritual children at all. Over the years, I've just come to recognize an unmistakable mark of maturity is being able to manage disappointments and disagreements well. I don't care if someone can reconcile the books of Daniel and Revelation. But they can't manage disappointments and disagreements, they're not mature. There's a man in ministry that I love dearly. He he's he's got my heart. Like, he's got it, right? I love him. He's a special man to me, very dear to me. I'm privileged to walk with him. I'm privileged to lead him. He's, he's faithful. He's tenderhearted. He's humble. I mean, this guy is a layup in ministry. We like layups, don't we, in ministry? You got to have a layup, man. Like, you got to have some layups. That, that's good, but there was an issue uh, a little while ago, and uh, we, we were doing an outreach in our class, and, and he, was, he was very involved with it in many facets, and, and, um, and, and one of the facets was, was he was leading the, the, the praise and worship portion, uh, similar to what you all did uh, with, with your festival here a couple of days ago when I got in. It was cool to see that, but very similar to that. And my wife, who's also a musician, she, she was a part of that. So he and I meet pretty regularly, right? And uh, so in one of these meetings, he, you know, we're, we're talking through this and making plans. And, and he says, hey, I, I need to talk to you about something. Uh, yeah, what's, what's up? And he goes, man, I just want you to know, I, I think the world of Lori. Well, that's good. I do, too she's, she's, she's outstanding. Like, and listen, I know that Lori would never think, say, or do anything that's not to the glory of God. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. Where, where where's this going? (laughs) He goes, man, there's just, there's a song that she recommended and I'm just struggling with it. Man, I've listened to it and listened to it and listened to it and And the thing I'm struggling with is I just, I I just really don't know if the focus of the song really just is just lasered in on God and His glory. Like it's not heresy or anything like that. It's just I just I just just in my heart I just I just struggle to 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 think about leading it. And I'm like, yeah, cool, man. Like go talk to her. You you can tell her that. So here's what he did. In a respectful, gracious, kind manner, he went to my wife, and he presented this to her. She listened to him, and then now she's falling over herself, apologizing. Oh, my goodness, now that you mention that, I can totally see where you're coming from, to be honest with you, I just like the song. I really like it. And you know what? She did like it because I remember her, like, we were having breakfast as a family in the morning. She goes, I want everybody to hear this song. I was like, okay. <laughs> I right, we'll walk away from these bacon, eggs, and biscuits, and we're all going to sit on the couch And see your light show, <laughs> but I, I I saw his point. But you know what? It was over. There were no hurt feelings. There were no harsh words. There was no division. Everybody moved forward together in unity. He didn't come to me with a critical, accusatory spirit about my wife, nor did he go to others murmuring about my wife. You know what that moment was for me? A green light. It was a green light moment. We are good to proceed. It was a green light moment. But had he so discord approached me, or God forbid, my wife with boxing gloves on over a song selection would have been a red light. Would have been a giant red light. Whatever it's worth, may I implore you, never ignore red lights in ministry. Don't do that. Do not ignore red lights in ministry. Whenever you run those, people are going to get seriously hurt. Don't ignore red lights. But here's a very refreshing observation about those who are spiritually mature in ministry. I love this. Listen, the list of things that they're actually willing to go to war over is not very long that's refreshing to me. You know why? Because someone in ministry with me like that, I can lead them. You can't lead someone who every 15 seconds you've got to stop to address the issue that they're having. They've got some disappointment, something they disagree with, and every 15 seconds you've got to stop to put that fire out. Because the list of things that they're willing to go to war over is a mile long. Like a song selection. (laughs) So a red light that we don't run is when we observe that someone, listen very carefully, is willing to brawl over matters that are not sin. That's a red light. So let me get this right. You want to put boxing gloves on and you really want to get down and throw down over something that is not sin. (laughs) We're not talking about sin. We're talking about you did not get your way. We're talking about your preferences not being honored. And we got to now throw down about that. That's a red light. It doesn't mean that they are altogether disqualified. It just might mean that they need more time to grow and develop so that they learn not to go into cardiac arrest when they show up at your church and realize you don't observe the Lord's Supper every week. You guys are heathens listen for whatever it's worth um i'm just not i'm not a fire drill guy I, I i don't like a lot of unnecessary excitement and drama i i just i i, I just it, you get nothing done. You get nothing done, you get nowhere, and there are just people where everything listen. One of the best things you can do when you're serving under a pastor is just don't be the fire drill person. Listen, one, listen. One of the things that the guys that I am privileged to lead, they, they, we, we talk about it. I use this word culture a lot. There's a culture, and in this culture, it, it, it speaks to how we work and walk together. If there is an issue, when there is an issue, here's how we're going to deal with it. Here's how I will address it. Here's how I will address you. Here's how you will address me. It will be respectful. It will be gracious. We're going to measure our words. We're going to be careful. We'll address the issue but we're not here to attack each other. Like, I I just don't believe we have to fight. I, I just don't believe we have to do that, right? Listen, knowing the song that my wife was, she wasn't wrong and neither was he. That's the beauty of it. Neither one of them were wrong. But both had to be mature enough to discuss it and come to in agreement. Obviously, Jesus was not wrong in John 6, but the response by the false disciples simply proved that they were unwilling to follow him as disciples indeed. And the same is true as it relates to immature believers. They will not manage serious issues and ministry well if they are showing you they can't manage some of the trivial things that come up in ministry. I mean, right, there, there are just things that, that you just, you know what, man, Lord, you got, you got that. I don't have to even. That's not even worth a conversation. Right, listen, hey, I've learned that in marriage. <laughs> 21 years, ah, <laughs> No big deal. <laughs> 19 years ago, what? Are you? <laughs> now it's like, nah, I don't care. <laughs> we'll be okay. Anybody feel me on that? Okay. There's a lot more we could look at and probably should look at um, about a hit the fill. Um, let me just say this. If you Bring along people in ministry uh, who are spiritually immature. um, That will only compound very difficult situations later in ministry. When you need your leaders to be at their best, you need them to be very mature in a critical hour. You got somebody there that is a child and they're just going to add to it, man. Okay, so that's... A snapshot of an unfaithful leader. Let's close on a really good note with a faithful leader. In the same chapter, we see a faithful man mentioned for the first time also. We begin in verse 18. And all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. Then said the king to Ittai, the Gittite, Wherefore goest thou also with us? Return to thy place and abide with the king. For thou art a stranger and also an exile. Whereas thou camest but yesterday, should I this day make thee go up and down with us? Seeing I go whither I may, return thou. And take back thy brethren, mercy and truth be with thee. And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my lord the king liveth, surely in what place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. And David said to Itai, Go and pass over. And Itai the Gittite passed over, and all his men, and all the little ones that were with him, and to that I say, Lord, may I be an Ittai. So, David has fled Jerusalem at this point, he's officially on the run. The rebellion of Absalom is well underway. Ittai was a Philistine from Gath, where, as we know, at one point David was exiled. Ittai was the leader of 600 men who were also exiles from Gath, and like Ruth the Moabitess. Expressed faith in the God of Israel and pledged his allegiance to a Jewish leader. And verse 21 says, And Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth. So you see that, just like Ruth, right? Acknowledging the God of Israel. But just like the meaning of Ahithophil's name tells us something, so does the meaning of Itai's name. His the meaning of his name means with the Lord. So we said earlier that a critical indicator of someone's leadership potential and projection is found in their company. Ahithophel was a companion of fools. How about this? Ittai was a companion of the Lord. That's sweet. That's sweet. So here's the key point. What should ultimately set someone apart from ministry leadership is an obvious walk with God. An obvious walk with God. Exodus 34, 29 says, And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mount, that Moses was not, that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh. It was obvious to the people that Moses had been in the presence of God. It was obvious. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. It was obvious to the hostile Jews that Peter and John had been with Jesus. This is what you look for. But if an obvious walk with God is what we say sets someone apart for leadership, then what is it that is so blatantly obvious? Here it is. You ready? One of the most obvious signs of a walk with God is expensive obedience. That's one of the most obvious signs. Expensive obedience. When Abraham went unto the place of which God had told him, that was expensive obedience. When Isaiah preached naked, it was expensive obedience. When Hosea married Gomer, it was expensive obedience. And we can go on and on and on. When Jesus went to the cross, it was expensive obedience. Listen, it would have been much cheaper. I mean, it would have been the sell of a lifetime for Ittai and his men to join Absalom and that rebellion. Would have been a lot cheaper. They were already exiles and to continue with David would have meant another exile. <laughs> we're already exiles. And if we join you, that means we're exiles again. We made reference to the similarities between Ruth and Ittai, which both are a picture of a believer following the Lord as a disciple indeed, which brings us to this. Making disciples indeed produces believers who obey expensively. And when we do this, this cuts down on the drama and the nonsense now we have people now who guess what they can do? They can manage disappointments and disagreements well. Why? Because they're spiritually mature. And in discipleship making cultures, guess what we see? We see people making expensive decisions, don't we? Expensive decisions like tendering their resignation from a six-figure salary to go live in a hut in a third-world situation to win people to Christ. That's expensive. And the time remaining, which is not much, and you're like, thank you. We'll look at one more principle, and we'll get you out of here. Verse 21. Let's look at it again. "And And ittai, Answered the king and said, As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord the king liveth, surely in what place my Lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also will thy servant be. So again, you see how to walk with God, but from there he said it twice, My Lord the king. And so Brandon brought this to a point and, and dropped it. And so I'm going to build on it or pick it up from here. But listen, please, to, again, I'm talking to the choir, talking to myself, to those of us who, are, who work directly under a lead pastor. If you want to be an Ittai, which you should covet to be, you need to understand that Ittai was a man under spiritual authority. He was, which is a critical point. Those with a low regard for spiritual authority will ultimately prove to be unfaithful in ministry. That's how that's this is how this is gonna go down. It's how it's gonna go down. Ittai stayed under David. Why? Because David was the Lord's anointed. That's why. This was the difference between Ahithophel and David as well. As much as Ahithophel was aware of what David had done with Bathsheba, he should have remembered what King Saul, the Lord's anointed, did to David, and how did David respond to that? He did not touch Saul, did not join a rebellion or anything like that. Ahithophel just needed to keep himself under God's authority and trust God with David in that situation. It's all you had to do. It wasn't his place to try an exact revenge. This is why managing disappointments and disagreements is so important. Most people, this is interesting, most people in good churches like ours, many people, most people will give intellectual assent to keeping themselves under spiritual authority until there's a disappointment and there's disagreements. And then that goes out the window. Numbers 12, 1 and 2. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman, whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? And the Lord heard it. And the Lord heard it think the Lord heard some of the conversations that took place between Absalom and Ahithophel? It's amazing, right? Like, one of the things I've, I, I've learned in ministry is that, is, isn't it amazing how the Lord is will always get you the information you need to get? You don't have to hunt for it, you don't have to ask for it, but, but the Lord will, will always let you know what what is being what, what people might be saying, uh, the discord they might be trying to sow, whatever it might be. It's amazing how that works. But please, would you hear this? A telltale sign that someone is or is not ready for leadership is how they speak to and about those who are over them in the Lord. That's a telltale sign. That's a big one. It's not so much what this reveals about what they think about those who are over them. It's not that. When you go back and look at this situation in Numbers chapter 12, it's what that moment reveals about what they think about God Himself. That was His point. For you to talk about Moses like that, what you don't understand is you're actually talking trash on me. This is why you don't ignore it. This is why we don't run that red light when God clues us in that someone has a low regard for spiritual authority. That's a red light. You run it, and you keep advancing this person in ministry, and you put a microphone in their hand. Uh, eventually, one of the things you're going to hear is, "Man, does that? Am I hearing what I what I what I think they're saying in, in, when they teach? It, it it smells like they're correcting what I'm teaching. It, it, does that smell like they're trying to draw disciples unto themselves? Yeah." But how did we get here? We, we ran that red light. We ran that red light. As I close, growing and developing leaders, can we be itai For the glory of God, for the edification of his church, can we be Ittai? And to senior pastors I, I echo Brandon's sentiment. Love you. Thank God for you. You are our big brothers. We love you. Man, I, I love my pastor. I'm grateful that I get to serve the Lord under Sam. Man, I, I, I look up to you guys. I respect you guys. I mean, Troy is senior pastor. Big deal. Tony Godfrey. Dan Renault. Love you guys. Can I just encourage you to trust the Lord for it ties in your ministry and to guard against being deceived by the Ahithophils. Amen. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're interested in learning more about the Living Faith Fellowship, visit LFFellowship.com. God bless.